Hello, Edgard. Hi, Gregor. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well, thank you. You? I'm okay. I think we are doing the introduction for our second podcast on death anxiety. What's uh, the main theme for this one? In this one, we are going to talk about a lot of different many things. As people can see already, it's a longer podcast than the previous one. We will start with further and death anxiety and how we try to think about beyond the fantasy. Uh, we will talk about death anxiety and death drive. How can we work with death anxiety? The cruelty of denial, the, the difference between privacy and secrecy, the influence of the culture we are working in, and should we celebrate death? <laughs> That sounds like a lot. <laughs> yes, it is. I don't remember we talked so much. Yeah, well, we did. <laughs> we did? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we did. And uh, yeah, for people who listened to the previous podcast, um, which was heavily edited, this one is, is edited as every other podcast. We were able to talk, to think more freely during the recording. Mm -hmm. And uh, it probably will show. Yeah. Yeah, the first one was more heavily edited because we were having some problems. Yeah, <laughs> meaning some technical some, problem. Some, uh, we were processing at the same time yeah. that we were trying to have a conversation. Our brains were dysfunctioning. Are, yeah, we were not yeah. fully, <laughs> we were not grasping the conversation. That's it. If you have any question, any comments, please send us an email, um, texts, a message, whichever you want to reach us. My name is Gregoire Pierre. And this is Edgar Francisco Danielson. Welcome to Discussions on Psychoanalysis. Could you maybe uh, give us a little sense of where Freud stood in terms of this anxiety? I have a little saying that I think kind of summarizes Freud's ideas. Since we haven't gone through the experience of death, which meaning we've never actually died before, and since death doesn't exist in our unconscious, we can't actually fear death itself. When we say we are afraid of death, according to Freud, we may fear something else, such as abandonment, castration, various unresolved conflicts, or otherwise fear of death may be the outcome of a sense of guilt. Yet Freud also specifies that fear of death dominates us more often than we know. Edgar, you're teaching Freud. Sometimes I teach Freud, yes. <laughs> <laughs> What do you think? I think the summary that Tanil has presented is accurate. 
when we read Freud, we and, and Freud talks about anxiety, we hear the concepts of the fear of the love object, fear of castration. Anxiety is connected to punishment, for example. So it seems that we go in the direction of those sources of anxiety, but we never, or at least we, I don't remember or recall that we study this concept of, okay, we're going to die. Does that create any anxiety or is that anxiety subsumed under something else? So, yeah, I agree with what Tanil has said. There is a missing piece here. We are going to die. I think it was Tanil who mentioned Irving Yalom. Yes. And he brings up this existential anxiety, which is death. Not something else, you know, death. We are going to die and we have never experienced death and therefore is unknown to us and, and we will have to go through it. So I agree with what Tanil has said about Freud and the limitations of our frame nowadays, which we avoid talking about death. Because we often, when we bring up Freud and death, there's this, this, um, the idea of death drive. But death drive is not about the death to come. No, no, no. It's no. about the non-existence that happened before. And the tendency towards uh, minimal energy, among other things. But it's not the same. No, death drive needs to be understood in the context of the dual drive theory, you know, Eros and Thanatos. So it's a completely different thing. How could we be useful, helpful to our patients, navigate this question of death anxiety and maybe, I mean, how do we believe it impacts our work? And how can we, as an artist, work through it with our own limitations? I think that is the question, really. I mean, because we also have to face our own death as analysts, right, because everyone dies, and we may have our own very strong feelings about this. Like, I think that it is hard for analysts to be present. And not everyone. I mean, there are plenty of analysts out there that probably handle death fine and death anxiety just fine. But I think it is really hard to stay present with death and kind of just let it be in the room and not try to move away from it, turn it into something else. And I think being able to hear when somebody needs help with this right, the actual fact of our death or the actual fact of their death that, and how to contain or work through the anxiety around that. We have to be able to like really hear what they're saying and that can be really difficult if we're not able to talk about death and understand death and kind of manage some of our own anxieties about it. And I read a few of Yalom's most recent books and one is Staring at the Sun and there's one before that. And he gives so many clinical examples of talking about death with patients. And it really struck me how those conversations did not come up in my consulting room. Like I, I wasn't having those conversations with my patients the way he was. And some of it was that he was elderly. And so his patients were really mm -hmm. reacting to him being old. And he would dive right in. He would say, I wonder if you're having some anxiety about my death and you know those kind of things he would just dive right into 
So I really found his books useful thinking of it as an existential question and being able to help your clients find meaning around it, around their life in this current moment and how that will help them face their anxiety and death later on. Some of these conversations came up because Yalom put the question in the room. You know, are you anxious because he was an elderly person? Yes. It says something about the capacity to sustain the blow that may come from the patient. Yeah. Which ties into what we have said many times before, you know, uh, and it's, you know, common. It's something that has been said in psychoanalytic circles that we cannot go with our patients in the analysis of our patients beyond what we have analyzed in our own our own analysis so certainly if, if we have not explored what it means to die w- in our own analysis there might be some avoidance of this subject in the room with our patients it's uncomfortable yeah it is but by doing that we uh i believe depriving patients of a potential good enough morning by denying a discussion about our possible death during treatment, at least. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a bit cruel. Mm-hmm. Cruel towards the patient? Yeah, I think it's cruel toward patients in the sense that, as we said, when a patient is uh, wandering like 10 years late, because, of course, in Gary and I, we're never late. <laughs> never, <laughs> <so> ever. <laughs> 10 years. Uh, <laughs> We have never she forgotten a patient. We have never, nope, never. It never happens. Nope. <laughs> we are completely <laughs> flawless. So, <laughs> so as, Daniel, as you said, like you arrive late, which is very unusual, and then the patient is like, "Oh, what, what happened? I'm very surprised." I was okay. So there's a fantasy and the anger, but there's also the possibility that you would actually be dead, and then what? Yeah. And so, if we haven't talked about it. Mm-hmm. before i mean of course we can't predict that we're gonna die uh, abruptly but uh, i guess uh, in certain circumstances of our life sickness or age then we deprive patients from the possibility to say goodbye to have had that moment where they can be with us maybe not even saying it i don't know exactly how it would be but like acknowledging that there might be a moment where we won't be back in the office mm-hmm. And to have had that consideration with patients in the room. And as I'm saying that, I'm saying that in a place where I'm healthy. So I have a little sense that it is probably a lot to ask to an analyst who was just, as it happened to our friend, Mm -hmm. diagnosed with uh, stage 4 cancer. Mm -hmm. Because... uh, the anxiety for the analyst as a person yeah. is overwhelming. I think we have example at NPAP of people who did one thing and people did the other. I think we had, without giving names, I remember like someone died very abruptly, a member, an instructor, and just canceled every session. And on the other hand, we had someone who learned that he had a very rare disease and actually then contacted every one of his patients to tell them. Mm-hmm. I was surprised by your the use of a word cruelty. Cruel. Yeah. And what you're saying, I th- or what I understand, understood what you were saying is that if we deny this possibility of discussing death, that would be cruel to our patients. You said that. Yeah, that's the idea. 
But then it immediately popped up in my mind something that I initially thought was too much, something that I heard that was too much, because this was public, I can say it. There was a panel in which a few members of MPAP were in conversation with Art Robbins, senior member of the Institute who died a few months ago. So they were in conversation with Art Robbins about his life. And Nancy McWilliams said, Art, we have not said something that needs to be said. I am concerned that you might die. And then Art allowed that to stay in the room and he talked about his life and what it meant to him that he would die. Art was not denying the discussion. Art did not. But it would have been cruel if he had. Exactly. Yes. The use of your word made sense to me when I remember that moment. Art allowed that question to be in the room and engaged with the question so that not to be cruel to uh, Nancy McWilliams and the other members of that panel who were, you know. Why were they celebrating the life of Art Robbins? Because they <laughs> knew mm-hmm. that he could die any moment. So, but no one had said anything about death. Yeah. This is a fantastic example because I think this is what... I would like to strive towards in myself, like that kind of bravery, both the McWilliams bravery to ask the question and to allow it to be, and the Art Robbins bravery or honesty to be able to talk about it. Like what an example that is for us as clinicians and as people, like to be able to be present with that truth. And that's what we're supposed to do in some ways, right? It's like to try to be present with truth with our patients. And mm-hmm. and I think that's a really good (laughs) illustration yeah it's as if actually not talking about the eventuality of death becomes some kind of a secret yeah yeah and so psychically it becomes a space that is untouched and has to stay untouched like a family secret or whatever kind of very unhealthy uh, psychical dynamic You're touching on what I would distinguish between privacy and secrecy. Privacy is a boundary that allows for growth, while secrecy is in fact a way to make things disappear, and therefore growth is not fostered, nourished. You know, um, so when we decide to, if we are sick or if we, or someone has terminal disease, uh, the analyst, is that private, is that a secret? Is that something that needs to be talked about with a patient? I've heard people who are diagnosed, let's say stage four cancer, we know that at that point time will be very limited and they tell the patients. Mm-hmm. Instead of waiting for the patient to, oh, you, you, are, you seem to be sick. You know, they, they are upfront. Of course, that's uh, a decision that each one of us needs to make. I want to think that I would be upfront. Yeah. Because it would allow more time for us to discuss. We want to think that. There might be a lot of fantasies and internal conflicts connected to death. Yeah, Yeah, it might be difficult Mm -hmm. when it happens. Mm -hmm. And I think certain cultural things influence the secrecy. And and I know this isn't true for all cultures, so I don't want to speak for all cultures because I know it's every culture handles death differently, but the culture in which I'm from, 
people get old and sick and they a lot of times we send our elderly loved ones who are ill to uh, nursing homes where they're cared for there and then they pass away mm-hmm. and then we send them to the f- mortuary where they're made to look like they're still alive and they may have an open casket they may have a shut casket we go visit the casket and then we put the people in the ground and so the whole process of death and dying is somewhat veiled from us the natural mm-hmm. process right because you know i'm not talking about when somebody dies before they're old but you know the natural process of death when you get elderly and eventually your life is over i think in the culture that I was raised in, there's a sense that there's no real facing. To tie on what Tanil is saying, you know, in my culture, well, of course, <laughs> we speak in Spanish, but it calls my attention that in the United States, when people say that someone has died, they say they passed away. So there's something here about not using the word he died or she died or they died. Or, or at least that's how I hear that. Maybe that's not the intention, of course. But in my culture, you know, we say the person de- is dead. The person died. And when I was growing up, there were no such things as funeral homes. So we would have the casket in the house of a person who had died. And still, the process would be sanitized, emotionally sanitized. And uh, particularly in the Puerto Rican culture, it is sanitized using a lot of religion as well. And the, you know, going to heaven and... Yeah, you're not really dead. No, death cannot be proud. Yeah, it's denied. It's denied. Death be not proud, though some have called you mighty and dreadful. But that's... Who was that? John Donne or Shakespeare? I don't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Well, our audience might know. Yes, exactly. Send us an email. (laughs) Leave us a comment. (laughs) And five stars. By the way, yeah, I was thinking, in the fact that religion denies death, it creates at least a combo of two things, and more, certainly. That, yes, we won't die, and... We are not part of nature. Oh, that's an interesting take. Not only does it deny death, but it feeds a completely disconnected narcissism in which we are creatures created at the image of God. Mm -hmm. You know, we are not like all those things. I mean, some people believe still. I mean, some people include their dogs and cats in heaven. But, I mean, in the Bible, it's mostly like, I mean, not the Bible. I think it's it's after, right? Because the First Testament, there's no heaven. It comes after Jesus' death. In the Jewish tradition, it might be different, yeah. But at least in the Christian tradition, there is the concept of eternity with God, meaning being alive in God. And in those beliefs, there's this idea of a soul. Yeah. Meaning that we are not, not constrained by our biological nature. Mm. It's the same thing with the idea of uh, reincarnation. We have a soul that is separate from the physical body and it goes along and etc. And just uh, as we're talking, I feel like this uh, connection between denial of death and hypertrophy in uh, narcissism are related. I had not thought about that. It is somewhat depressing. I mean, it's just uh, we're going back to climate change discussion, but it's somewhat depressing about uh, how everything is actually carbon-based. No wonder I like science fiction so much <laughs> yeah <it's>, <laughs> maybe <laughs> but like there's a, the pr- reality principle the, the real from Lacan the, whatever we can think that impose itself on us comes back and in the denial of death we are denying that 
but it makes so that the world becomes much harder to understand. Hmm. The world becomes very frustrating. Why can't I pollute as much as I want? Why can't I uh, uh, integrate drugs as much as I want and treat my body as poorly as I want? Like, and the denial of this anxiety will be part of those behaviors or those thought patterns. It's not the only thing. Let's just be clear. I'm not, this is not my point. Are you saying that it's a reaction formation? Oh, that yeah, you're good, Edgar. You're good. Of course I am. <laughs> you're so the let's best. Use, let's use some psychoanalytic terms here. <laughs> yes, it is a reaction formation. Thank you. <laughs> Anyhow. That's the idea. <laughs> and about a cultural relationship to death, I was indeed struck by how the American culture in general because we are generalizing here, mm -hmm. tends to really sanitize death to a point that I didn't know in France, even if France is also a Western culture. But I could see how denying death is not maybe not just one single thing. It's part of a general dynamic yeah. of denying, I'm not sure why, not sure what, but it's not just one single space. Mm -hmm. It's a system. Yeah. What's your take on it? I believe that in our culture and in the American culture, at least during my lifespan, there's a real push towards this idea of happiness and the pursuit of happiness. And that happiness is kind of the way your life should be. And if you're not feeling happy, then you're not living your life right. And I think that's a denial in and of itself of how suffering and sadness and this full range of emotional experiences we have as humans like aren't natural and I guess that goes back to you saying denying we're a part of nature right it is important to be present with the reality of our death and also that the reality that our life isn't going to be happy all the time and that doesn't mean there's something pathological or something wrong with us it's just that life isn't happy all the time that's just the way it is but I think our culture has pushed that narrative a lot to extremes. And I think our handling of death is in line with that, right? Like at least the handling of death that I've seen in my culture in my lifetime. I know there's pockets of culture mm -hmm. within American culture that are very different, but... And maybe also it serves an economical purpose. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? The more the society will deny the complexity of our existence, the less people will have spaces to think about it. And so they will act out. And you will enjoy your Coca-Cola. You will eat your burger <laughs> with so much pleasure. You know, you, you have all those outputs mm -hmm. to, instead of digesting the pressure within you, you digest from outside. You know, you take external object hoping that it will eventually fill the void instead of thinking it through. And yeah. that is a very powerful consuming tool. What do you mean by tool? I mean, people are going to spend money to avoid being anxious about death. Ah, I hear you. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We're talking about society as an instrument of control. And also, you don't even need companies like Coke or Pepsi or whatever I can see like all those churches where they ask for what? Tipping or tippling? Tithing. Tithing. Like tithing. Mm -hmm. People pay the church to have a good place in heaven. Some people are going to be so anxious that they will spend the money. 
Well, I think even beyond the church, we find many ways of assuring ourselves that we are good people and therefore deserving of a place in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Yeah, This is a depressing conversation. It is. But... <laughs> sh- <laughs> From a different point of view, we're talking about how we uh, there's this intense sanitation of death in the mm-hmm. general American culture. But should we advocate for a society that celebrates death? A psychoanalyst, what do we think? That's a good question. I don't think it's about celebrating life or death. I don't think psychoanalysts are called to celebrate. We are called to look at reality and try to make sense of it. What I meant is, a psychoanalyst, what would we think of a society that does celebrate death? We are in a society that celebrates death. They celebrate the death of the enemy, not of the people inside. The war is a celebration of death, but the one who is dying is not here, it's there, over there. It's another way of sanitizing and making palatable death. The bad object, the external bad object is going to die. Yes, the bad object, you know, so let's project the, um, to them, the, uh, you know, paranoid ideations and mm-hmm. kill. I think in part that is a celebration of death and the way our budgets are established, the governmental pro- budgets are established, they say something about what is prioritized or to use a word, celebrate it, you know. Mm-hmm. I had two thoughts about this. One is that, you know, there are some cultures like uh, Japan, for instance, that their death rituals when someone dies are really visceral by American standards where they, you know, they burn the body till the bones are exposed and then the family members pick the bones themselves and put them into reliquaries. Like, so you handle the loved one's body in a very real way. Also in the, like in the Jewish tradition, you know, People have a time to mourn and grieve and reflect on the death of their loved one for an extended period of time. And I think those things really let people have the space to be with the presence of death. And that is helpful. I know it's hard. It's painful. It hurts. And I'm sure it's not an easy process for the loved ones to go through when they're doing that. But it does actually, I think, help people face and move through the inevitability of death. Whereas, you know, when you push it away or kind of make it nice, you do miss something. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about celebrating. I think cultures that are more present with the reality of death, I think that is helpful. That's my feeling anyway. You know, this idea of celebrating or not, and I, I keep saying that that would not be our role to celebrate, but to acknowledge reality in all its forms, life and death. It reminds me of this, this short paper by Freud on transience, where he is walking with a poet and another person, and <clears throat> the poet looks at the flowers, and what the poets can say is, they are beautiful, but they are going to die. And Freud thought, why don't you enjoy them now? <laughs> the person could not allow himself to enjoy the moment 
because the flowers were going to die later. What does that say about the internal dynamics of that poet? And I think Freud's perspective there is that, yes, flowers bloom and then die. And the beauty is in the transience, you know, that the fact that they are here now and they will disappear, but now is the moment to enjoy them. Mm. It reminds me of um, an experience I had when I was working in France yeah. in one of the facility. One person there was always saying, we're all going to die, we're going to die, so why are we doing that? We're going to die, we're going to die. And it had a profound freezing effect. A chilling effect. On the member of the team. Mm. And this person would say it with a very loud and uh, low tone voice. I mean, it was impressive. And I remember one day, I even took myself by surprise, and, and this person was like, I mean, I was doing a workshop, and she was there, and, I, and she's like, yeah, what does it matter? We're all going to die. And I said, okay, so let's do it while we're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was surprised, even by myself, to have said that. But I'm mentioning it because just like there's something that I, in that moment, I think surprisingly even to me, I was able to break the sideration mm -hmm. that this idea brings to people. And that's what you, I think what you're mentioning with the flowers. Mm -hmm. Like death anxiety, it can freeze our psychical abilities. Yes. And... Mm -hmm then the past, the present, the future, everything becomes melted together. Mm -hmm. And then there's no point, there's no hope, there's no space. Like everything is over. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So I guess uh, one of the things for us is to realize that if we stay that way in a psychoanalytic frame, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess this is it for today. Yeah, that was a lot. Yes, it was. <laughs> And we are still alive. <laughs> yes, I am. Well, I am too. <laughs> oh, no. but, but Don't you notice? <laughs> wow, well, you never know. Do you have a grasp on reality? Oh. <laughs> so that's it for today. Thank you again for everybody who listened to us. And um, we will see you next month. Yes, there will be an August podcast because um, we decided that since we had three episodes on death anxiety that we should just as well mm -hmm. release them mm -hmm. in a row yeah. instead of uh, waiting until September mm -hmm. but maybe we won't have a podcast on September we'll see that's it for today well thank you for listening thank you bye 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 <laughs>